0: It's Nick Brown. I'm here today with Adnan Haider, senior author of a a, a tremendous new paper which we're publishing in the Global Health Section. It's called Children and Road Traffic Injuries, Can't the World Do Better? So I'm delighted to welcome an old friend, Adnan Haider, who who is Professor in the Department of International Health, who's been in the field of injury prevention for 20 years. Welcome, Adnan.
1: Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, really good to be here and delighted that the journal accepted our paper for publication.
0: Well, it, it, it's a pleasure. I've been excited about this one for a long time. To, to those who, who don't know your background, could you just tell us a little bit about how you became involved?
1: Sure, Nick. I um, represent um, the academic division here at Johns Hopkins University um, at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. As you said, I'm professor of global health, but I'm also the director of the Uh, World Health Organization collaborating center here called the Johns Hopkins International Injury Research Unit. Yes, which has been uh, working for now close to a decade on trying to help address the problem of injuries particularly in low and middle-income countries. My own personal involvement comes from my origins in in Pakistan and my work with uh, in my early days with the primary healthcare movement there and trying to uh, treat and look after both adults and children with different types of injuries and recognizing that while there were programs for diarrhea and pneumonia, there was nobody really looking after this particular issue. And as I trained in public health, uh, that sort of persisted and I became more and more interested in starting doing basic epidemiological work in the developing world and eventually um, uh, hosted and developed this center uh, at Johns Hopkins and I'm proud of uh, leading a team now that is working in uh, over 20 countries uh, on this particular issue.
0: Yes, and and, and what you've done is clearly raised the profile of uh, of an area that had been grossly overlooked, I think, until until the last 10, 20 years. Could you tell us a little bit about the global burden of disease, the epidemiology, and the sort of data sources through which you establish these trends?
1: Right. So I think it's uh, really important for our colleagues and and scientists around the world to understand that we are obviously in a situation of imperfect data on this topic. Uh, But within that uh, set of imperfect data, we have a number of sources. We have the global burden of disease work that's done through our colleagues at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. We also have the World Health Organization's Global Health Estimates that are regularly produced, and generally speaking, we feel that, you know, depending on the number and the estimate and the age group, there might be up to 800,000 children dying from all injuries under the age of 18 years. Of these, we think that about close to 200,000, depending again on the estimate, uh, might be specifically for road traffic injury. I think this is in the context of the global burden of all ages being about over a million people. Now, if you take um, over a million people and you divide that, that's uh, nearly 3,000 people on the average a day, uh, which, as you know, would be like 10 jumbo jets crashing every day. And ordinarily, if that happened, Nick, you and I would be on CNN and uh, and so on. Uh, but but that but nobody talks about it because these are, you know, one by one. And unfortunately for us, 90% of these debts are occurring in low- and middle-income countries. In fact, what is very interesting is that while low- and middle-income countries have about 50-55% of the world's registered vehicles, they actually have over 90% of the debts. So it's one of those classic cases of uh, inequities uh, that I think many of us are in the the field of public health for, and this type of uh, epidemiology it's really important for us because we fundamentally feel that the interventions therefore have to be in the areas and the locations where these deaths, uh, and of course, many, many more disability and morbidity is occurring. So for every road traffic injury death that we can count, uh, there might be 10, there might be 15, there might be 20 other people being injured or disabled. So we don't even have a good estimate of those. We think there are probably, you know, if there are a million deaths in the world, uh, from road traffic injuries, we think there are twenty to fifty million people who are becoming uh, disabled or morbid as a result of this so um that 's uh, an initial introduction i think for the for the EPI side
0: yeah that's that 's really helpful why, why do you think prevention or at least until recently has been so overlooked i mean you you alluded to it being largely a um an LMIC issue, Um, are there any other reasons why it's um, pneumonia, acute gastroenteritic illness, HIV, TB have been much more in the the spotlight?
1: So I think uh, that's a really important question and one that we've been struggling with for nearly a decade. And in the case of road traffic, we might have actually had some success in overturning. But I would say certainly that while the lack of data and information is one reason, I think there are several others, one of them has been a somewhat traditional perception of injuries, um, which therefore clouds road traffic injury as well, as something that just happens. Uh, it's it's an act of God or some super being. People tend to accept them as part of the natural process of living in those circumstances. And, and certainly there is research to show that may or may not be true, depending upon cultural and other perceptions. It's also true that uh, another reason is the hesitancy by, in fact, the medical and health sectors, of of course, of which I am part of, in instead of looking at a bacteria or a virus as a cause of disease, you're now looking at energy, because it is, after all, the transfer of energy from, let's say, a car to a person over nanoseconds that leads to the breakdown of the skin and the bones and causes the physical injury. And this is relatively different from what a traditional, let's say, medical school might teach in a traditional course about the transmission of a bacteria from, you know, uh, an agent and a host and a vector and causing tuberculosis or causing malaria. So I think uh, it's been challenging for the health and medical professionals for that reason. I think another reason has been that we haven't been very good at selling interventions. So people think, oh, that's a big problem, but we really can't do anything about it. And I think that we are partly responsible for doing that, so I think it's really important for us to to move forward. I think another reason, and particularly true for road traffic, is that health is only one sector. You have to involve the police, transport, justice, education. In other words, we cannot claim the problem. And problems that aren't claimed by one sector often fall through the cracks. And and I think that's another reason why this um, has been a situation with, uh, with road traffic injuries. And then until recently, again, something that we have to also partly be responsible for, we didn't have organizational or individual champions of the problem. Many of us were going through our own professional careers and many organizations had not really adopted this as something that they would go after. And now we've seen some change in that. And I think therefore, that there are these spectrum of reasons from, from lack of data all the way to lack of champions that I think affected uh, road traffic injuries and, and injuries in general.
0: That's, that's extremely interesting. This is a much more complex issue in many ways, and accountability is, is clearly a, an issue that, that, that a number of, of, uh, of different professions need to um, need, need to stand up and um um, and, and, and take uh, take some accountability. Um, but things have moved forward. Things have moved forward. And could if, it would be really interesting if you could give us some examples of successful interventions.
1: So I think let me um, speak at two different levels. First, at the political-slash-global level, which I think is so important for child health also. I think the World Health Organization must be given due credit in this particular instance for really championing the cause of road traffic injury Colleagues um, at WHO have worked very much hand-in-hand with many of us, uh, and I was privileged to be part of this 10- to 15-year effort in which we went to the United Nations, we went to the General Assembly, we passed resolutions at the General Assembly, thanks to many, many countries that supported that, and then we developed something called the UN Road Safety Collaboration which is a loose partnership of organizations in the public sector, the private sector, academia, non-governmental organizations, that are promoting road safety, uh, that we developed a global plan of action. And eventually, the decade of 2011 to 2020 was framed as a decade of action for global road safety. And we've just crossed the midpoint, so many of us are indeed quite worried about using the decade more and more for action. And then, while we felt very much left out of the previous Millennium Development Goals, or MDGs, we are very proud that there are now two Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, that incorporate the element of road traffic injuries. SDG 3, very specifically, uh, calling countries to reduce road traffic injury mortality, and SDG 11, around safer transport and safer mobility. So I think this is an example of a 10, over 10-year effort, actually, by many, many different partners, which has led to some Political visibility, and you may have heard last um, few days that there was the announcement of um, the appointment of the previous mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, as the UN ambassador for non-communicable diseases and injuries. And this again is a win for us because we have now, um, you know, someone who can champion this at the UN level. We also have other colleagues, obviously, who have been championing this. Uh, in their own sector. So I think that's one level of success that I can um, present to you. I think a second level of success is that, in fact, if you look at the history of high-income countries like classic European countries, Sweden, Norway, and so on, they have been able to, over the spectrum of 10, 20, 30 years, reduce their road traffic injury rates severely. And this was true for adults as well as for children. And so we have real-life examples of the fact that this can be done. The challenge for us now is to take that learning and apply it to low- and middle-income countries. And in the case, obviously, of road traffic injuries, we have very specific interventions that have been shown scientifically to be effective and also in real-world populations. So for example, child restraints. We know that a child that is restrained will be far better off in the position of a crash than an unrestrained child. We know the helmets work, whether it is a 16-year-old riding a motorbike uh, or an e-bike, or it's uh, an adult who is 35 years old. Helmet will protect heads, no matter whether they are Ugandan heads or Indian heads. Uh, We know that speed control, reducing the speeds of vehicles on the roads, will be beneficial to everyone, children and adults included. And so I think there are very specific interventions. And in fact, the returns on these investments um, are very, very strong. I think so now it is up to governments and uh, non-governmental organizations and us to ensure that these interventions don't remain on the books but actually get implemented.
0: Yeah, these, these seem like really exciting times, and particularly with the SDG backing. And, um, um, and the, the momentum seems to be... It's, be with us on this. Are, are there any barriers as, as we start the SDG era? Can you see any, um, apart from the ones you've already mentioned, any other barriers um, that, that might slow or temper progress?
1: Yes, I think there are certain challenges that we have to overcome, particularly for child road traffic injuries, as we talked about in the paper. I think the first thing is uh, stakeholder engagement. I think we need more stakeholders if we are going to make this successful. We need child health experts who have been working on very important conditions to recognize that injury, particularly road traffic injury, is a child health issue. We need our pediatricians. We need our pediatric surgeons on board. So we need that stakeholder engagement because they're influential in creating change. I think. We need governments on board very specifically for making plans of action for child injury prevention. And this, of course, will include, uh, as in many countries, one of the leading causes of child injury deaths is, in fact, road traffic injury. We need special interventions for child uh, injury prevention. And I think uh, a barrier often is that in the field of road traffic, we talk in general terms and sometimes ignore children. And I think we need very specific Uh, uh, specifications uh, for for child injury prevention. I think another area that we certainly uh, need to become better at is community engagement. We need the public. We need uh, individuals to recognize that they can do something about it, that it is important that their child is wearing a helmet or is belted or is walking safely uh, on the roads. And I think public engagement and awareness is also important in this process. So I think that while there are some positive signs, I think that um, we do have some challenges. And I'll end with the the last one, which is I think our own community of advocates need to be uh, a little better aligned, uh, a little bit more focused on evidence-based interventions so that we speak the same language and uh, convince each government after government to invest heavily and also uh, open the pathway for private sector involvement uh, in these efforts.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, everyone everyone has a stake in this. In terms of the SDGs, in in um, as that's a useful timescale to, uh, to to look in terms of the future. How how do you see things in let's say twenty thirty for the sake of argument, at the end of the SDG era?
1: Yeah, I'm sort of you know. Having gone and lived through the MDG era and also the previous Health for All by the year 2000 era, I think as an academic, I'm I'm more um, tuned towards science and evidence. And so I think that these are calls to action. Um, These are more visionary statements to mobilize communities and governments and stakeholders. So I think when an SDG says that by 2020 or 2030, we will reduce something by 50%, we aren't actually saying that that will you know happen accurately but rather what we are saying is that uh, the world has to recognize that we must be on that pathway so i'm very hopeful that number 1 child road traffic injury prevention will receive a higher priority in child health and development circles over the past uh, over the next 10 years or so. I'm also very hopeful that more and more investments for evidence-based interventions will actually be implemented on the ground, especially in low- and middle-income countries. And, of course, being a researcher, I'm also more hopeful that more evidence is generated, uh, both in terms of the effectiveness of these interventions in the countries where they are needed, but also the cost-effectiveness of these interventions. And I hope to be certainly a partner in that process
0: that's fascinating that's, that, that's a really good note to end on I think and um, thank, thank you so much for, for anyone who's listening to the podcast who hasn't yet read the paper please do and, um, and in your own way become an advocate in the way that Adnan has, has, has suggested we all have a role to play here thank you so much for joining us today I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you thank you very much